You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 530. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Mobile Studio One, somewhere between Georgia and Wisconsin. Today's show is recorded on the week of July 18th. Today's episode, the final report on the crash that killed well-known pilot Dale Snodgrass. A parachute saves the pilot when a plane crashes on a street in Belgium. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 530 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. Hi there. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we cover the latest in aviation news and answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining me today from her studio, a place to stand, a place to grow, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, good to see you. Thank you for uh, being my only co-host today, at least for part one. I know. Of uh, 5.30. We're doing a little bit something different, as you can see behind me. I'm outside. Uh, ooh, the wind all of a sudden has kind of died down a little bit. Let's cross our fingers. Yay. Hope it stays that way. I am in Wisconsin, uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and I'm at the Menominee, Menominee, bum, bum, Menominee State Park, which is on the shores of Lake Winnebago, the uh, western oh, you shore. You see the lake there in the background, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's kind of fuzzy. I haven't figured out how to turn off the, the blurred focus uh, behind me. Oh, here comes the wind, of course. Anyway, I uh, hopefully will be able to, you'll be able to hear me, understand me, um, have pity on me, etc. Uh, but we're going to try this show. It's kind of an experiment uh, doing all of this without anything plugged into a uh, electrical outlet. And so it's uh, oh, completely... Off the grid, for sure, except connecting to the Internet part. But anyway, uh, so we're, we're going to have... Okay. I'm going to be here audio. I'm okay. just going to take my video out. Okay. So Liz is going to be with us, and you're going to be able to hear all of her control room directions to me and any snarky slash helpful uh, comments that she might have regarding our show and our coverage of uh, aviation news. And speaking of that... Let's go right into the news.
stand by for news. All right, we're going to uh, start with, oh, wait, um, something is happening here, uh, live breaking news uh, in the in the foreground, not the background, that's behind me. The foreground in front of me here, there is some type of a pine tree, and uh, a young lady has climbed up into it. She is uh, under some sort of distress. I don't know if it's um, physical distress. I think it may be more like emotional distress. But she is clambering down from said tree. And I'm hoping that the uh, yelling and screaming will uh, come to a stop very soon. So let's find out. Anyway, I'm going to move on to these first, this first item in our news notebook. And it is uh, the NTSB uh, releasing their final report on Dale Snodgrass crash in Lewiston, Idaho. This is from Plane and Pilot magazine. And uh, let's see, the highly respected pilot failed to remove the control lock from the plane he was flying before takeoff. In a final report that is unusual in many respects, the National Transportation Safety Board concluded that the crash that killed the well-known and highly experienced pilot Dale Snodgrass in 2021 was caused by the pilot's failure to remove the control lock from the plane. A SIAI Marchetti SM1019B before his takeoff from Lewiston Nez Pierce County Airport in Idaho. Great. Now we have now we have car alarms going off. Hmm. This is fun. Um, anyway, in Idaho, uh, the accident sequence, which was recorded in high quality, shows the plane lifting off and the nose pitching up sharply just before an altitude of around 80 feet. It rolled to the left, the nose dropped, and it impacted the ground in an extreme nose-low attitude, killing the pilot and destroying the plane. Uh, Dale Snodgrass was a highly experienced and highly respected aviator, a formal naval aviator and current airshow performer. The board wrote he had around 6,500 hours of time as a civilian pilot at the time of his last medical. A few months before the crash, Snodgrass has had purchased this plane, often referred to as the Italian Bird Dog, though this model was modified with a Rolls-Royce M250-B17B turboprop engine instead of a conventional gas piston internal combustion engine. Snodgrass had around 20 hours in the plane. The flight, which the NTSB concluded was under no time pressure, was to the pilot's vacation home around 20 minutes away from the Lewiston Nez Perce is it P-E-R-C-E? I'm thinking Pierce, Pierce County Airport? I'm not sure. Uh, the board closely inspected the nature of the control, <clears throat> control lock in the plane and concluded from its extensive examination of the wreckage and interviews with experts in the aircraft type that it had been installed at the time of the crash. So it wasn't, you know, at the time, you know, you, you're ready to fly, that control lock needs to be not locked because you can't move the controls. Uh, there were no other pre-impact abnormalities with the engine or airframe it also concluded when it is installed the control lock which is painted red is immediately below the pilot's knees and despite its bright color can be difficult for the pilot to see now liz um did you show all the uh, slides yep. already okay yeah you'll see uh in in the i believe it's the second one uh you, yep, you kind of got up now okay you, you know you can clearly see it there but if you look at the next one this is what you see sitting in the pilot seat. You can barely see it down there. Uh, so the perspective is is uh, 
you know, interesting. Um, if you don't adhere to your checklist, uh, you could miss the fact that you have a control lock in place. And that's apparently what happened here. Uh, the device allows the uh, allows full rudder use, but disables the ailerons and elevator. So it allows the plane to be taxied with the control lock in place, but doesn't allow the pilot to input elevator or aileron inputs. In one near disaster noted by the investigators, a pilot described how he had taken off with the lock installed, but was able to just barely uninstall it. That scared me. That's a motorcycle starting. Thank you. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, one near disaster noted by the investigators. A pilot described how he had taken off with the lock installed, but was able to just barely uninstall it enough to allow him to recover before the plane would have crashed. In the Snodgrass crash, the pilot seemed to become aware at the last second of the mistake he had made. Yeah, you'll recall that we did, shortly after this crash occurred, we did play a little excerpt of that little video uh, as the airplane took off and crashed. I decided not to play it again because it's just it's kind of gruesome. No. Um, and he was um, using expletives to uh, kind of um, voice his... Uh, his uh, he wasn't very happy. Shock. His shock, yeah, that he had forgotten to. Uh, again, they're surmising he forgot to unlock the control lock, and at that point there was uh, pretty much nothing to do. Uh, the elevator trim was found in the full forward position, an indication that the pilot was attempting to lower the nose uh, as it rose after takeoff. Um, yeah, so. Very unusual. This is a very highly experienced pilot, and but that just goes to show you, I guess, that you know you you have to always um, you know be methodical and deliberate when it comes to checklist usage, and you can't let anything distract you. I know it's you know easier said than done, but um, you know if he if he had just taken a little bit more time, uh, perhaps he would still be with us, and you know he'd probably be here at uh, Oshkosh for the uh, for the air show, I bet. Anyway, rest in peace. So again, that's the uh, final report um, put out by the NTSB regarding the crash. And uh, links to the report will be in the show notes. Moving on to the next item. Uh, Mark Anderson's got a good comment there, oh. Jeff, just before you move on. Okay. Uh, let me check out uh, Mark Anderson. Can't beat the control lock in the Cessna 172, which blocks you from putting in the ignition key and starting the engine with the lock in place. Yeah, it would be kind of tough to take off with it like that, huh? Okay. Pretty safe. Um, all right. Uh, I need to adjust that a little bit. There we go. Okay. Now, let's go back to our news. Uh, B, a Meridian AN-12 near Kavala on July 16th, 2022, impacted ground after engine trouble. Uh, let's see. Uh, registration uniform Romeo Charlie uh, India Tank. Uh, Charlie. Performed Sorry. flight. No problem. Oh, bless you. Um, Poppy. Flight. Oh, that was Poppy? Uh, was that yeah. she barking? Okay. I thought maybe that was yeah. you sneezing. <laughs> no. Okay. Poppy, I don't know what you're barking. Okay. Hey, Poppy. Um, flight 3032 from Nice, Serbia to Amman, Jordan, with eight people on board, was en route at flight level 210 over the Aegean Sea when the aircraft began to lose altitude. The crew reported engine trouble 
and turned around towards landing in Greece. The aircraft attempted to land in Kavala, or Kavala, uh, but cut a power line and impacted the ground about 17 nautical miles west of the airport in an open field near Paliatori, Kavala's village, and burst into flames, leaving a wreckage trail of about 160 meters, 525 feet in length. The rescue teams found no survivors. Sources within the Greek Civil Aviation Authority reported the crew reported engine problems and requested to divert to Kavala. However, contact with the aircraft was lost on approach. Ground observers reported that the aircraft appeared to have been on fire while still airborne. Oh, that's right. There was a video here, and I forgot to, uh, forgot to load that up. Oh, well. Uh, we'll have that um, in the show notes. You can watch the video. Uh, some uh, witness actually took some cell phone video, and you can see, and it was dark, and you could see this kind of fireball going through the sky and then hitting the ground and then becoming a very large fireball. Uh, the fire appeared to have expanded from the engine onto the wing. After impact, a fireball rose from the ground. Emergency services report that although it's unclear what the aircraft was carrying, they treated the freight as hazardous materials. Specialists are on their way to the site. On July 17, uh, 2022, Serbia's Minister of Defense reported that the aircraft carried 11.5 tons of Serbian-made defense products, uh, mortar training missiles, purchased by Bangladesh's Defense Ministry. The aircraft was to make technical stops in Amman, Jordan, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, Ahmedabad, uh, India, before reaching its final destination in Dhaka, in Bangladesh. The transport was in line with all international law and had all relative permits. So nothing, nothing shady going on here, apparently. On July 17, 2022, Meridian Limited confirmed the death of their eight crew. Um, yeah, so that's what we know now. Um, report is ongoing to determine... What happened here? You know, again, as you know, you would assume that uh, an airplane would be able to carry on and land safely with an engine failure. But if the engine's on fire and then in turn the wing uh, becomes engulfed in flames, then you have a different situation. Maybe they were just trying to get it on the ground as fast as they could. They thought they had a clear landing path, but they didn't see the, uh, the high tension cables electrical cables, and uh, they ended up hitting that, and that was the end of that. All right. Anything uh, that I should uh, mention? Let's see. Any comments from the peanut gallery? Nope. Okay. They're quiet. Nope. Uh, okay. Going back to this. This is uh, one from Micah. Micah oh, sent this in. Micah sent this. Is Micah with us yet, or is he still? I haven't seen him yet. Absent him. without leave. Hey, well. Nope. All right, uh, new Navy flight mask could prep aviators to avoid blacking out mid-flight. Both the Navy and Air Force have struggled for years to combat physiological episodes, potentially deadly emergencies. Uh, the Navy recently demonstrated a new training device designed to help prepare its pilots for potential emergencies in the air by having them feel the effects of oxygen deprivation while safely on the ground the latest tool in the service's years-long struggle with the phenomena known as physiological episodes. Now, just uh, stopping, uh, this is not in the article, this is Jeff speaking. Uh, you've heard Captain Nick and I talk about several times on previous episodes where uh, when we were in the military, and I'm assuming they still do this, but maybe not. Uh, yeah, I think they still do. I think uh, Captain Craig 
was uh, telling us about his experience in the um, altitude chamber, the barometric um, chamber, and where you kind of, uh, they take you up to, I don't know, 40-something thousand feet. Obviously, you're still on the ground, but you're in this, this chamber that's on the ground, specially made for this. And then you take your mask off, and you start, uh, you know, doing little, well, actually, you start doing little simple tests like arithmetic um, problems and, you know, basic spelling. And, of course, I think most people would miss spelling these days, uh, regardless of their <laughs> oxygen levels. And, and, use and, of apostrophes. Uh, and use of apostrophes, yeah, Liz. Um, anyway. Uh, so you do all these little things and then you, you know, you turn, you take the mask off and then you're, what you're looking for are the signs of hypoxia and everybody's, everybody's physiological signs are a little bit different. And, uh, but you know, you get cyanosis, you know, like your fingernails turn blue, my fingernail, right? Whoops. I'm not flipping the bird. Um, my fingernail turned black <laughs> and it had nothing to do with hypoxia. Uh, cause I, I smashed it into something, the lid of my brand new Yeti cooler. I was emptying it out, and then it slammed into my <laughs> finger. Ouch. Yeah, it wasn't very smart. Did you say any bad words? I may have, mm -hmm. under my breath. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, so I, I guess maybe they've been trying to figure out. It's a very expensive apparatus uh, to maintain, and, well, to purchase and maintain these uh, barometric chambers. So I would imagine they're trying to, you know, find a way to save some money and get these to more bases and that sort of thing, uh, and and so I uh, comes to what comes to mind to me is I think a few years ago now maybe some of you in the live audience can uh, uh, say yay or nay that I'm thinking about this properly or not, but I think that the FAA had some kind of a demonstrator that they brought here to Oshkosh. Uh, I don't know if they've done that in in recent years, where you you wear some kind of a mask apparatus that restricts uh, the flow of oxygen uh, and uh, you kind of get to experience a little bit of uh, hypoxia symptoms. Um, so that's what I'm reminded of when it comes to this new um, device that they call mask on mask on breathing device, M-O-B-D. Uh, however, I think this is more than just a some kind of a restriction, simple restrictive breathing device. Um, I, I looked into this a little bit. What, what are we What are we laughing about? Tim Penram. Uh-huh. What is he saying? Hypoxia side effect is climbing trees and yelling. Yeah. But Hey, I, I'm happy to report that, uh, it looks like the, uh, climber She's and, and, and yeller and screamer and, uh, the crowd that had gathered around, uh, they're the gone. Skirt. They have, they have exited stage left. Or stage Short right. attention span. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's good. Now we just have yeah. to deal with um, the birds. wind and the birds. But that I like the birds. They're, I like the birds. they're pretty. Anyway, um, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about this uh, new device that uh, the Navy recently demonstrated. The mask on breathing device uh, was developed, uh, uh, which replaces and improves upon the legacy reduced oxygen breathing device by replicating two more breathing distress symptoms beyond hypoxia. The MOBD incorporates an innovative approach that produces nitrogen-rich air from the ambient environment, eliminating the logistical and financial burden of using the compressed gas cylinders that were required by the legacy system. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, a, an official said it was designed to mimic the onboard oxygen generation system on-demand airflow and is a significant improvement over the legacy trainer, which has long been criticized for unintentional symptoms caused by its Ooh. constant airflow. Okay. So anyway, they got this new thing that seems to be working out. Yes, Working Liz? out. Mm-hmm. All right. No, I just sort of saying unintentional symptoms sounds bad. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sure I understand exactly what they're, not, they're saying. They're not there. being very specific, so we don't know what no. it is. But. At first, you know, I was thinking that it had something to do with that there are certain situations where your uh, your oxygen system goes into like an emergency mode and you have like pre- you have to do pressure breathing and it's very and Nick has talked about this before it's very difficult to to breathe and to speak uh, when when you have a lot of high pressure oxygen being forced down your mouth and nose uh, and so I was thinking maybe this thing is designed to do that but now that I've read it for the second time I'm thinking maybe it's actually the opposite I don't know but maybe somebody out there with uh, recent um, military experience can let us know about this uh, new system. Yeah. All right. Moving to item D uh, pilots are cautioned over terrain and weather effects during approach to the new Hong Kong runway. This doesn't sound good. No. Uh, this is from flightglobal.com. Pilot representatives of urging crews to be particularly cautious. Okay. Uh, the new runway, 25 right, 7 left, is located to the north of the airport. Hong Kong's previous northern runway has been redesignated as a center runway, 25 center, 07 center, and is being closed for reconfiguration work. NOTAM information from the airport informs pilots that the ILS approach from the east to the new 25 right is a two-part process consisting of an area navigation transition and an ILS final segment. So it's like a hybrid approach, uh, RNAV slash ILS approach, I guess. This is due to proximity to terrain and possible glide slope interference by the terrain, says the International Pilot Federation, IFALPA, in a safety bulletin. It points out that Hong Kong's highest peak, Tai Mo Shan, which rises to over 3,200 feet, lies on the 25 right approach path. Well, that's no good. Hong Kong's third runway seen from the... Oh, this is the uh, caption for the uh, photo uh, that you probably have already showed. I have. Yep, cut it up. All right. Uh, the area navigation part of the procedure takes inbound aircraft just south of the peak, requiring them to maintain a mandatory 3,800 feet over the nearby waypoint Sagni before descending to waypoint Topun, Topun at around 2,700 feet and crossing a point designated Victor Hotel 536 situated shortly before the final approach point at a required 1,800 feet. But the Federation cautions pilots could find that they are above the glide slope at Sagni under certain meteorological conditions, particularly if temperatures are high and during tailwinds. Conservative configuration may be required to achieve the published profile while avoiding ground proximity warnings, it states. The ILS approach commences from the waypoint Toppen where, from where glide slope integrity can be guaranteed. Crews are being cautioned not to engage approach mode before reaching Topin, and the Federation is warning that this crucial... See, I'm, I'm pronouncing that different ways every every time I say mm-hmm. it, just in case... You'll, you'll hit on the right I'm one. likely to get it right <laughs> at some point. Uh, so the... Um, it may not be easily visible on certain ILS approach charts. 
descending via the uh, area nav navigation transition and complying with the mandatory 1,800-foot height restriction at Victor Hotel 536 will enable glide slope capture from below before the final approach point. If the aircraft is already established on the glide slope before VH-536, the restriction does not apply. Okay. Tim Van Ram is really hot this afternoon. Is he? Is he the comedian yeah. in the in the house? He is, yeah. We don't have eye-haul boxes, but <laughs> Tim's doing me. You know, <laughs> I, I see what he's talking about. That is very reminiscent of that, uh, what was the name of that? Mixfield. Migsfield, yeah. <laughs> kind of looked like that. And then if you look to the right and all that dirt, that's what Migsfield looked like after Mayor Daly yeah. <laughs> had all the bulldozers, bulldoze a darn thing. Wow. Yeah, he is. He's on fire. You're right, Liz. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's move you have on. Do you a video for this next one? I do. Yeah. Yay. All right. Let me uh, load it up. Uh, I should have done that before we started, and I didn't. So it's set not... this baby up, Jeff. All right, I'm going to set this baby up. Um, do you mean like using words or like loading up uh, the video? Just, just, well, it, just so that they know what they're going to see. Okay, here, so, so you're assuming that I can do all these things and button clicks and everything else in the background and talk at the same time? Okay, we'll give it a shot. Yeah, this involves a uh, light sport aircraft or a sport aircraft, I think. I don't think they call it a light sport, but it does look, you know, it's a small uh, airplane. looks like some sort of trainer, kind of like a semi-T-tail uh, that has one of those ballistic uh, parachute, full all airplane parachute systems installed in it. And uh, where is it? Some plane. Oh, here it is. Pilot deploys parachute. Okay. And uh, apparently uh, the pilot deployed the parachute and um, in Belgium yeah. in Belgium and this one this particular video Liz is not the one that had the um, very clear English Injection? expletives <laughs> going oh, on yes. okay good so very here good. we go this uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pop it in the stream this this really okay warning contains video some may find distressing yeah okay lovely. pilot escaped serious injury by deploying a parachute but then he comes out. Isn't that him deploying himself out of the plane, too? No, I think that's some kind of a piece oh, of something. Oh, that was Yeah, and that... Oh, ow. Bang. Pilot only sustained like light sir. injuries. Said he had lost control. Okay, due yeah, to technical so. difficulties. You want to see that again? Yeah. Is that is that um, a phone... I mean, a uh, car that's in the video, or is it a car somewhere here in this park that's honking? Okay, I don't hear it anymore. Don't hear honk. Oh, that's not what I want. I want this. Let's uh, try this again. You know, video that they're seeing of me is distressing. That might have been the expletives there. Yeah, that. Oh yeah, it comes on. Oh, I see what it is. Yeah, it's a piece like of. Some, maybe thing. it was like the cover for the parachute. Yeah, the cowling or something. Or something yeah. yeah. But you know. Ow. That is so. That just shows you that yeah, it's it's better than going straight down and crashing at full speed with <laughs> the aid of gravity. But uh, it's it's not. It's like jump, probably like a parachute landing fall, where you it's like equivalent to jumping off a ten foot wall. So it's not going to be a pleasant yeah. experience. When did that plate bend up? All right. Yeah, and and the other thing that. I find interesting the Cirrus uh, aircraft uh, system. Doesn't it bring the aircraft in like level? 
doesn't bring it in like yes, nose first just, like this, does it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's horizontal. Like, yeah, yeah, it's more horizontal. Uh, yeah, yikes. That did not look um, like fun. Oh, I'm trying to remove that. Here we go. Nope. Oh, so, so am I. Sorry. <laughs> We're having a fight with control yeah. of uh, removing the video. Okay, you know what? I'm going to remove it from the studio. There. <laughs> there. So there. So there. Now what are you going to do? All right. Uh, let us... This is a nice one. This is a nice story. Yeah. Thank you for always putting in a nice story. Usually. I try. Yeah. Uh, this is from simpleflying.com. Uh, a 10-foot Amelia Earhart statue to be unveiled at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Amelia Earhart is to become the 11th woman inducted into the National Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C., Aviation pioneer Amelia Earhart will be cemented into history. Oh, Ooh, really? Uh, okay. Uh, as one of only 100 people to have a statue of their liking placed, or likeness, I think. Likeness? Yeah. yeah that's right. Maybe the person from Simple well, Flying. I don't know if she liked it or not. She's dead. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bam. Um, anyway, the, the person writing this may not, English may not be there their uh, primary First. language. We're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the, the only 100 people to have a statue of their likeness placed in the U.S. Capitol Building's National Statuary Hall. This historic event will take place on July 27th. That's only a few days from now. Next and, Wednesday. Yeah. And the aviator will be one of only 11 women in history with this honor. The Atchison, Half an hour. Amelia, thank you. Hey, so this, people watching the video, this is the kind of thing that I normally hear. Now you're being treated to it because you can hear all that stuff it's going on in the background. It is a treat. It really is. Uh, the Atchison Amelia Earhart uh, Foundation has announced the creation of a 10-foot-tall, lifelike bronze statue of Amelia. Wow, she was 10 feet tall? I didn't know she was that. I, she uh, she does no. appear to be pretty tall, but not 10 no, feet. but... That's amazing. I guess it's lifelike. She must have been 10 feet tall. <laughs> That's right. Well, kind of like. Uh, the announcement comes 90 years after Earhart became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Her life in aviation, as well as the records she broke, not only pushed aviation forward, but has inspired millions of women to follow their dreams. Um, let's see. At 11 o'clock on Wednesday, an official dedication ceremony will commence as a statue of the well-beloved uh, aviator is inducted into the National Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol building. Now, let's see. Um, they're going to have a reception afterwards. The primary sponsors Ooh. of this event are, event are Blue Origin. I was like a good reception. Yeah. Uh, Air, Airbus Americas Incorporated and Spirit Aerosystems. And uh, now. Sam? That's not Spirit Airlines. That's yeah, Spirit no, it's the, uh, the company which I think that makes the. Uh, which I think they are. They're somewhere in the Midwest, I believe, and they make uh, airframes uh, for like the 737 and that kind of thing. Fuselages. Fuselage. Um, now, the only thing that was kind of um, sad about this, I guess, is that, uh, well, you know what? You put one in, you got to take one out. <laughs> and uh, Earhart's statue will replace the statue of former Senator John James Ingalls. Uh, this will make uh, Laura Ingalls' dad, I think. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know who that is. Uh, this will make Earhart the 11th woman. Okay, we, we already heard that. Anyway, I guess um, this uh, natu uh, National Statuary Hall, Hall. is um, 
I guess each state can put in two. Uh, I guess they're in charge of deciding who they want. Two of their sons and daughters. Yeah, exactly. So I guess um, Earhart now is uh, going to be the second one instead of uh, John James. All right. Now, cool. winds are starting to pick okay. up. Let me look at my uh, electrical battery level here. We're okay at 45%, so we're, we're doing good. Doing well, I should say. And it's now time for this. Getting to know Jeff. Getting to know me. Because it's just me. Well, no, getting to know us. We can find Not out enough. from Liz yeah. what's been going Nothing on with her. Going. Nothing going on here. All right, well, I have to say that there, there have been things going on with me uh, because I am in... Here, I'm going to adjust my microphone, so hold, watch your ears. There we go. Uh, I am in, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I started, uh, I left my, uh, for, the former APG headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia on Monday morning and uh, broke up my little road trip up here into a couple of segments. The first being my uh, Roswell, Georgia to Paducah, Kentucky, uh, just on, uh, well, in western Kentucky, just to the north and west of uh, the land between the lakes where the uh, Cumberland Rivers and Tennessee Rivers and they flow into the Ohio River and so it's on the Ohio River and I found a little, nice little uh, boutique hotel called the 1857 in downtown Paducah. Let me tell you, Paducah's not a big place, but it's it's nice, it's quaint. And um, had a good time, a very nice little boutique hotel. And uh, what else? As I was um, filming um, a little short video clip while I was there on the Ohio River, uh, a modern uh, river cruise ship uh, showed up to dock at well, there's no dock there, actually. I don't, it's kind of weird. Uh, I don't want to get into exactly how they did it, but I guess it was designed so they could just go up to the shore and they can put their own kind of loading... Gangplank. Gang, yeah, whatever that thing is. Um, and uh, people can come on and off the uh, off the ship. But it wasn't it's a, a paddle wheeler. was not a paddle wheeler. Uh, and I think the name of it was American Jazz or something like that. Mm. Anyway. So I, I did a little research. I was curious. I'm thinking, huh, who, hey, um, was, uh, who was operating this and what kind of things they do. And they have like several different um, Mississippi River cruises, Ohio River cruises. This one was, I think was called the, uh, oh, I forgot what it was called. Maybe something to do with jazz. Um, it, uh, I think it was it, one of the places it went was Louisville, Kentucky, and then Paducah, whatever. Anyway, it was kind of fun to see that. And uh, day two, I left uh, Paducah, headed up to um, basically across the Ohio River into Illinois, and then all the way up Illinois, past uh, Champaign. Illinois is big. Yeah. Well, let me tell you one of the. I'm I'm very clever. You know, you think Tim Van Ram is a funny guy? Listen to this. I I uh, stopped in Champaign, Illinois, at a Portillo's. Uh, which is a famous Chicago area, um, Chicago hot dog, Italian beef kind of place, and lots of other stuff too. Uh, but uh, Dr. Steph introduced uh, Captain Nick and I to that uh, back in 2019. And I think, 
That's when that happened? No, she told us to go there, and that on our road trip, when Captain Nick and I were uh, up in the Chicago area, we ate at a Portillo's right before we ended up picking up the uh, Class A diesel pusher that we uh, rented mm-hmm. for that year. Anyway, so I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's any Portillo's uh, on my route. And sure enough, Champaign, Illinois. So I went in and ordered my Chicago hot dog, and the uh, young lady asked if I wanted anything to drink. And I said, champagne, please. And, of course, I just got a very blank stare. stare. Yeah, which is <laughs> kind of the response I usually get when I try to tell a joke. <laughs> so I wasn't surprised. I think it was hysterical, Jeff. But I'm thinking, come on, champagne? We're in champagne? Uh-uh. Oh, well, pretty bad. Sorry. Anyway, so... Uh, on the we crossed over the Illinois um, Wisconsin border uh, between Rockford and Rockford Illinois and um, uh, Janesville Wisconsin and then kind of headed a little bit more to the uh, northeast and Doesn't, uh, Captain Rick hang out in Rockford sometimes I think Captain Rick does uh, fly out of Rockford quite a bit actually uh, but he wasn't there when I went through or at least he claimed he wasn't he didn't right, want to see he was me hiding. Yeah. Anyway, went to uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin. And, uh, and the reason, because I found this little cute bed and breakfast uh, establishment. And I thought, yeah, that's sort of like on the way to Oshkosh. And uh, it'd be kind of nice to spend the night in, in luxury before I started my, my tent adventure. And uh, so I stopped there at the uh, Hamilton House in Whitewater. And uh, the, uh, the wonderful innkeeper, her name is Gloria, uh, from upstate New York, had just purchased the thing right before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, she didn't have uh-huh. very good timing. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so uh, I think that the accommodations um, are starting to pick up. And but you were uh, the only one there that I night, was the right? only. Yeah, I was the only one there. And... Uh, so she gave me the grand tour of the place and the, the staircase going up to the second floor where uh, my room was. Um, she said, this is a famous staircase. And I said, why is that? She goes, well, uh, you'll remember uh, a very famous uh, comedian, uh, actor comedian named uh, John Belushi. And I went, I do recall that name. And she said that um, when he was a student at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, which is like right next door, I mean, it's like right there in Whitewater, uh, this house was at, at various times a sorority house and a fraternity house, a frat house. And when it was a frat house, apparently uh, John Belushi rode his motorcycle up the stairs in this place, and uh, she was showing me. Was What's that? Wonder if alcohol was involved. Oh no, I'm sure that there was no alcohol involved. I'm wondering if that had. I don't recall exactly if there was a scene quite like that in Animal House, but it just was kind of reminiscent to me of um, of uh, the movie Animal House. But anyway, after he got kicked out of the uh, school. He went back uh, to uh, his parents' place uh, somewhere in uh, northern Illinois, not very far away from that, and he finished his uh, his college. And then after that, he uh, got involved in the Second City comedy troupe in the Chicago area, a very famous comedy troupe, uh, and then, of course, got noticed by, uh, what is it, Lorne Michaels? Um, yep. Canadian. 
Is it really? Is he really? There are a lot of funny Canadians. Um, yeah, we're all funny. Yeah, you're all funny. Funny looking. Um, yeah. And uh, then he got hired by, uh, he's one of the original cast of uh, Saturday Night Live. Way back in the 70s, I think. I, I forgot exactly what year. Sorry for the wind noise. Anyway, so uh, that was fun. Um, spent the night there. And then uh, the next, oh, by the way, the, the breakfast the next day, because, you know, it's a bed and breakfast. Uh, the breakfast the next morning was amazing. Uh, the, uh, the, the presentation of the food and the flavor of the food was just incredible. And uh, the coffee I, was great. Oh, and the coffee was really good too. And I said, excuse me. I said, you wouldn't happen to be like a trained chef, would you? And she says, I went to the culinary Institute, um, at, uh, in Hyde park, Hyde park, New York. And I went, Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess she has many, many years of experience as a chef for various places in uh, New York. So uh, I said, well, it shows. This is really, really good. And uh, so that was my experience at the Hamilton House in uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin. And then the next uh, morning after breakfast, uh, just a short... Yeah, just yesterday. A short drive from there to here, like under two hours. And arrived in uh, at Oshkosh at Whitman Field, and a uh, a nice gentleman and a, a, another Canadian. Well, it seems to be a theme here. Funny um, and nice. Yeah, met me by the uh, front camper registration area and gave me my little tag to display in the in the windshield of the car. I'm looking at my car way over there, and I see it. It's a big giant yellow thing, and that gets you in and out of the campground and. What's that? The car isn't a giant yellow thing. It's the tag that's a giant yellow thing. Yeah, the tag. Thing. The tag is a uh, giant yellow thing. The car is a giant white thing. Well, not that giant. Um, and uh, showed me where Camp Bacon, a little a subdivision of, um, of uh, Camp Scholler, and where I could put the tent. You know, I had a few different places I could choose from, and I chose a place underneath a, uh, a beautiful tree. I'm not sure what kind of tree it is. Um, but... Uh, Maybe, that may not be a good idea now that I'm thinking about it because yeah. we're supposed to be getting some uh, stormy weather. There. What's that? Lightning storm. Don't be there. Yeah. Probably not a good place to be in a lightning storm. Hmm. Anyway, that's where the tent is. And uh, I'll try to remember to throw a photo in of uh, the, uh, hmm. the car and the uh, tent uh, erected at, the, uh, at Camp Shore. And... So, got settled in. This is all a new experience for me, camping. Um, last time I was at Oshkosh, we had that luxury motorhome. And I'm hoping in subsequent visits, uh, I'll have um, a, like a version of a luxury motorhome as well. But uh, this time, it's going to be uh, roughing it a little bit in a, in a tent. And one thing I, no- I noticed, Liz, is mm. that you hear that the... the the walls of a tent aren't very thick and they don't, they're not really yeah. good at like diffusing sound. Uh-huh. And uh, if, if for those of you who have been to Whitman Field and Oshkosh, you know that the, uh, it's very close to, I think is it Interstate 41? Right. And a lot of traffic on that road. And I think it's just something I'm going to have to get used to, but it was, a, you know, it kept waking me up. Uh, well, trucks and that, and stuff. Like you'd hear a lot of trucks going by and. Yeah, a lot of trucks, a lot of motorcycles, a lot of people that um, apparently can't afford to install mufflers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so uh, my first night was last night, Ear and uh, you could always get some earplugs. I'm sorry. You could get some earplugs. Yeah, I guess I could. Yeah, probably have some in my in my backpack. I'm probably yeah. I'll give that a shot. See how that works. For some reason, when you keep talking, it it's like kind of fuzzy. It's not clear until you've said a few words. I don't know why that is, Liz. But that's why I keep saying, "Huh? What are you saying?" Okay, so uh, that's where we are. We're uh, well, actually, I'm not at Whitman Field, but I am still in the Oshkosh General Oshkosh area at um, Menominee Park. There's a nice little um, uh, what do you call that? Um, like a a place that has like a placard, a um, not a statue, but like a historical, historical marker or something like that that uh, for um, uh, Chief Oshkosh. So I guess that's how this town got its name, an Indian chief or a Native American chief, more correctly, named Chief Oshkosh. Hmm. I actually haven't read the uh, uh, the historical marker yet, but I'm, I intend to do that after I record however much of the show I'm going to be recording today. Ah, there you go. And then uh, tomorrow, uh, more and more of uh, APG community members are going to be showing up, and I'll be able to see them and hang out walk around and have fun and uh, eat and drink and be merry and uh, not Jeff you forgot to tell everybody what you were busy doing before you left Roswell you were making something weren't you hmm was I making, making something some, making some t-shirts maybe oh okay <laughs> I'm thinking what what is she talking about what was I making uh, yeah I printed up a bunch of uh, Osh Kosh shirts are you showing them now i'm guessing uh now that one you're seeing on the screen is actually uh one printed by teespring uh that you can order uh, by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash store i believe that's the uh url and uh, then you can click on that top banner and that takes you to the uh, spring they're calling themselves spring now not teespring but it's teespring and uh, that is uh, the version that they are printing. But if you happen to be attending Oshkosh this year, I printed up several uh, in various sizes, both uh, men's and women's uh, versions. And uh, if you see me, say, hey, Jeff, where's my shirt? And then uh, hopefully, I guess I'm going to just keep them in the tent or maybe well, in the trunk of my car. What's that? While supplies last. While supplies last, yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, you'll have to find me, and then you'll probably have to go to my campsite to uh, to retrieve or to, to get your uh, version printed by me, uh, heat transfer printed, in the basement of my house. And, um, did you bring a Sharpie? I did not. I just thought of that. <laughs> I just remembered that I have not. I just remembered I forgot. To, uh, to bring a uh, Sharpie. I guess I'm going to have to go back to Target again. I, I, I uh, texted uh, uh, the APG crew uh, this morning and said, well, I uh, something I didn't even think of uh, until I got here. I was going to go and have a shower this morning and uh, at the at the bathhouse uh, or shower house or whatever you want to call it. And I'm thinking, huh, I should probably have a towel. I am so used to everywhere I take a shower having 
a towel supplied either at home or on well, the road in a hotel room. Extra towels for Hillel. Yeah. I, you know what? I didn't buy an extra towel for Hillel. I hope, you know, he's Honestly. smart enough to bring one with him, I'm sure. So I did not. So I had to go back to Target to uh, get a towel and some other things that I'd forgotten. But uh, anyway. Um, Before you move on, I'm going to yeah. show this the sticker that's also available. For yeah. The, uh, Jim Mercado, our APG brand ambassador, uh, put that on spring as well. It's a sticker. It's like about five or six inches wide. Um, and uh, you can buy one of those and plop it on your on your rollerboard on your airplane or your car or something. I don't know. Anyway, put it on some property, uh, somebody's property that you don't like. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Thanks, Liz. All right. Uh, so that you're basically up to speed. Oh, I do plan on, and I'm not sure when this show will be published because I'm going to be kind of busy in the next few days, but I'm going to try to, you know, work out a, a quick edit on this and get it out there. But if you're watching live or you're watching the video, because usually I'll release the, uh, make the video public a little bit earlier than the uh, audio only version. Um, we, we are, we, I, maybe we are planning on uh, recording a live show uh, once uh, Air Venture has started. And uh, you'll just have to follow us on the social meds to find out when and where. Uh, and it's not going to be a normal show format. We're not going to do news and feedback. We're just going to do basically hang out and talk about audience participation. Audience participation for sure. So uh, stay tuned for uh, time and place uh, by following us on the social meds. So plan on doing that next week. So Tim Van Ram is not just funny, he's practical, so he's got a suggestion for you, Jeff. Oh, does he? Okay, let me see what he's suggesting. Install a white noise app on the iPhone. Works great for camping. Actually, I think I already have one on there, Tim. So, yeah, I can just plug in my headphones or earbuds or something like that, and and uh, it'll, uh, I guess I've had to do that before, uh, staying in hotels, Um just to try try to drown out some of the uh, the noise. Sound in the next room. Yeah, or in the hallway, or whatever. You know, like kids running down, up and down the halls and that kind of thing. Well, here's Last the wind week. again. Here, let me point that away. Okay. Let me see. That might help. Let me move this camera over here. Oh, that's no good. You're out of show. There we go. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm hoping that the placement of the microphone will be a little bit better as far as wind is concerned. Okay. Last week's cover art? Yeah, let's uh, look at that. Uh, Captain Nick has done it again. Uh, Captain Jeff tweets away is the title of the show. And there I am on the Twitter bird. Logo? What is the name of the Twitter bird? Tweet? I don't know. Tweety I don't know. Bird? I don't Tweety know. Does anybody know? Um, anyhow, um, I am on the Twitter bird. And, of course, that's uh, the tweet is kind of a reference to... Well, it didn't help, did it? The wind is still kind of noisy. Uh, the tweet is a reference to the fact that I, uh, long before Twitter was a thing... Uh, and before smartphones were a thing, I went, ow, damn. 
Something just bit me. Oh, okay. Ah, it's a biting fly. I love it. Nice. I do not love it. <laughs> no. Hey. Damn you. This is no good. This is no good. What do I? Tim what am I? <laughs> Larry the bird. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly. Not, that's not Larry the bird. <laughs> I take it back. He's not that funny. Anyway, there's me on top of the uh, Twitter bird, and oh, in reference to the fact that I'm sorry. Before I was rudely bitten by a fly, uh, in reference to the the fact that I was an instructor pilot on the tweet. T-37 in the U.S. Air Force back in the early to mid-80s. Actually, mid to late 80s is when I was doing that at Columbus Air Force Base. Now all I can think about is that stupid fly trying to bite me. Dang it. Carry on. I don't like this outdoor venue thing. (laughs) Probably the last time I do this. Okay. Unless it's a place where they don't have stupid biting flies. Okay. Here we go. Uh, what else? Oh, we can do the uh, coffee fun. How about? Okay, before this whole thing completely falls apart. And here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. It's the coffee fun. That's a Java jive from Jeff Smith, the guy that does the jingles for the APG show. And the reason why he's singing the Java jive, the APG Java jive, is because we're going to talk about the coffee fund, which is your way to support the show financially. A couple of different ways to do that. And we get to talk about both this episode. Since the last episode, we had a couple uh, one-time contributors to the Coffee Fun Classic, Richard Adams and Chris Eidsvik. Very nice, generous donations, these gentlemen. Thank you very much for that. We do appreciate it. And we also have recurring uh, contributions coming in from uh, people that like using the Coffee Fun Classic method. Uh, The other way to participate in the Coffee Fund uh, cadre is to uh, join us and become a patron via Patreon. And we have, yay, a new producer, Curran, I think. Curran, yeah, one name. Yeah, well, he had a, um, he has a last name in his email. I could guess what it is, but he just put down Curran. So I don't think he wants me to use his last name. So there you go. I'm respecting that. Damn fly biting my legs. Oh, sorry. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for contributing to the show and becoming a patron, Curran. And uh, if you want to do the same, head over to AirlinePilotGuide.com slash coffee to find out how you can do it as well. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. I need somebody okay. over here with a t- fly swatter swatting flies right away. Oh, one right me. here. Okay. Well, here, hand it to me. <laughs> Yeah, here it comes. Coming right to it. All there right. You thank you. Hmm. That was another thing I need to buy from Target, I think. Yeah. Oh, yes. The great outdoors. Thank you, John. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Um, How's now, your battery? It is uh, 37%. I guess okay. we can keep going. Press on. Hey, you know Press what? On. Let's just do that, and we'll just make it kind of a short show. We'll just go yeah, as long go. as we can. All right. Great. Here we go. Let's do some feedback. Yeah. 
Incoming message. Or as long as I can stand being bitten by this fly, or slash flies. Okay, uh, let's start with this. It's an update from Jan Sears. He sent us some audio. He said, hope this finds you all well. Here's a little feedback to let you know how training is going. Still enjoying myself and looking forward to what is coming up next. Thank you all for all you do. Warm regards from Jan the Man. And here we go. Good day, APG members, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Steph, Nick, and Rick, and all the other fine people that take care of this, especially Liz, because I know she does the hardest work than any of y'all. Uh, anyway, uh, Jan the Man here with a uh, update on my continued airline pilot training. Just wanted to keep you guys informed to let you know how it's going. We're about two and a half months into this process, so wanted to keep you all apprised. For those of you who are old like me and think um, thinking about this career path and give you some inside info and, you know, like I said, you guys are all welcome to reach out to me and uh, provided my email on the last one. So I'll let you know what's happened since. So about three weeks ago, I finished systems validation, which is uh, essentially covering all 17 systems of the aircraft. And you have to know them well enough to take an exam that you can pass with better than an 80. And then it's corrected to 100. So ultimately, you have to really know what you're doing, um, obviously, since we uh, are flying a very complicated aircraft. It's good to know that stuff. But I can speak from my 54 years on the planet that that was um, probably the toughest two weeks um, that I've had learning anything, you know, that being paramedic stuff and uh going to a police academy and those kind of things that I've done in the past. This was uh, definitely one of the more stressful. So um, preparation for that is just uh, in the books, making flashcards and um, really having a good working knowledge of how those systems function. And when you flick a switch, what are you actually doing? So that's the level they want you to be at, which I think is um, perfectly uh, acceptable. And, definitely attainable because there's thousands of guys and gals out there doing it. Um, but just, just to let you know, it's, it's a bit of work and you have to be willing to put in the time. So I passed that validation, um, with a 90 and I was happy with that. Um, got sent home for, uh, three weeks and that time there was spent, uh, doing the honey-do list and, um, getting ready for procedures training, which is where I am now. Um, but while I was home, you know, you get, uh, you get sucked into doing things that need to get done and, you know, you got to make time to study and, uh, you got to really kind of meter that it's difficult, especially if you've got children or if you've got, you know, a spouse that's got things for you to do, um, you got to make it a priority. And, uh, so I managed to do that, um, uh, fairly well so that I'm uh, prepared for procedures training here in uh, Denver. So that's where I am now in the, in the fine uh, um, outpost of uh, La Quinta in, uh, near the Denver airport. And um, a couple things that I've been working on. So I've already had procedure training. You've got um, four procedure training, and then you're given what's called the procedures validation, which is essentially um, a check ride that um, validates you from the gate to the runway, and then from the runway 
to the gate at the end of a flight, all of your checklists and flows and uh, communication between you and the captain and those things. So it's a bit of a choreography piece and it's definitely been challenging. I um, am one of the few people here that doesn't have a sim partner. Normally you're kind of partnered up with somebody out of, um, out of your SV class, my systems class, but uh, my partner did not return. So I'm doing it solo, which is um, okay because I get a training captain next to me as um, as my partner. You know, the instructor becomes my partner. So that's a lot of learning there and uh, a lot of potential benefits. So, so far, so good. Um, PT2 is tonight. Uh, I have the 8 p.m. to 2 in the morning slot. Um, which works for me because I'm kind of a swing shift kind of guy. So uh, that works pretty well. Uh, in the interim, when I'm not in the procedures trainer or having a debrief or a brief with an instructor, um, I'm spending time in what's called the matrix lab. And that's essentially a, a mock-up of the cockpit, um, large um, LCD screens that are touchscreen that act and behave um closely to the actual aircraft uh, with the technological block of sometimes when you push a button, it doesn't actually push and you flick a switch and it doesn't actually flick. But um, learning the flows and the procedures that go along with that and learning how to load um, the box, we call it an MCDU here. Um, some people call it an FMU, FMC. It's got a couple of different names, but it's a, uh, the main navigation aid radio box um, and also does all of our fuel and flight planning. So very important piece of equipment to understand how to operate. And that's what I've spent most of my time here um, working through that. So those of you who, you know, who spend a lot of time on flight sim at home, you know, pick the flight sim of the aircraft that you're actually going to go potentially fly someday and I would suspect that they're fairly closely related and you might have a little bit of a heads up. Um, the downside is you might do some mistraining on yourself. So it's kind of a, I kind of came in here cold um, to this airline and let them teach me from the ground up because I learned a long time ago that the phrase trust the process is a good way to live. So um, when I'm not in the matrix or in a PT session, um, I have a paper tiger, which is essentially a cockpit poster that I have in the room. And I practice the flows and checklists that way. Um, it's, it works. It's similar. Um, it's not as interactive, obviously. And, um, but it, it gets the job done. So, uh, a few things I've, you know, experienced while I've been here. Um, they put us up in a hotel, which is nice, um, paid for by the airline. And I'm being paid while I'm in training. So it's kind of like I'm at work, you know. So here I am in a hotel room. So I'm getting to understand hotel life a little bit, which I'm sure um, Captain Jeff and Captain Nick can <laughs> relate to 110%. Um, I've already switched rooms because the hot water didn't work in the first room. And, you know, little little things like that become kind of funny. And you, you become a... You know, when you get a certain brand, you're like, yeah, I think I'll stick with that brand of hotel and not this one after some experiences. But um, that part's been interesting, trying to figure out food. Um, the hotel refrigerators are very small, and I, I'm on a budget. So what I've done is I've gone to Walmart and bought uh, frozen foods like from Amy's or one of these other 
you know, more of a, more of a natural frozen food uh, part. And then, you know, applesauce squeezies and nuts and bars and um, cereal and oat milk. And I make my own coffee in the room here with a, with a device called an AeroPress. And if you've never used one, it makes a French press look archaic. Uh, AeroPress is really light and I don't, I'm not advertising for them, but I can tell you the product is really good. Um, aside from that, um, I've been managing to get exercise every day. I go for anywhere from a five to 10 mile run because I need to have my head clear. And that's how I do that. And, uh, I've made some really good friends here. Some close friends I'm sure will be friends for life, which is super cool. Um, and kind of unexpected, but, you know, we started off as a group, um, you know, almost two months ago and we sort of splintered off as we've gone into procedures training, but it's been, um, really neat to, to get to, uh, know some people from all over the country. Um, uh, some from out of the country that are here on, on visas and working and, um, it's really cool. So happy to have that experience. And those are people that I, get to have in my life, um, for the rest of my life. So, um, I will tell you it's, a um, on a home life standpoint, you know, make sure you've got all your stuff buttoned up at home. Um, this is a stressful to be away. Uh, if you've got younger children and there are some students here who are friends of mine that have younger children, it's a challenge. Um, you just have to make sure you've got, you know, family support and backing and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm fortunate in that my children are all grown and out of the house. So this is me being retired, kind of doing something not only fun, but uh, is very challenging at the same time. So um, like they say, you know, it's a lifestyle, not a job uh, working for the airlines. And I'm getting a taste of that by being away and the airline experience and that kind of thing. So you have to, you have to understand what you're getting into a little bit um, beforehand before, either investing a lot of money or a lot of time uh, in it. But uh, I, I'm really stoked and I can definitely say that I'm in the right place and I made the right choice and I have no, uh, no regrets so far. So, um, so what's next for me? So I finish, uh, if everything goes well, I finish my procedures validation next week. Um, and then um, I got, graced with the opportunity to go to Paris, France to do my simulator training over there um, at uh, La Berger Airport, um, where Flight Safety International has more sims. We're running out of sims in this country for the particular aircraft that I'm flying. Um, the ERJ sims are just all booked up. So uh, they've reached out and uh, made some contracts with some international partners and um, I got selected to go to Paris. So um, that's what I'll be doing on uh, hopefully this time next week, I will be in Paris. Um, once I get over there, I do maneuvers training and that's where you're in a full motion simulator and actually getting to fly the aircraft and uh, doing approaches and holds and um, loading things in the box and then figuring out how the navigation system works um, really effectively. And then doing uh, upset training, um, unusual attitudes and the recoveries for those. And so I'm really excited to do that part of it. Um, after we finish that, I come back to Denver. I do my um, knowledge validation, which is essentially like an oral for your check ride. And that's just to make sure that 
the systems knowledge that you had uh, two two months ago <laughs> prior, uh, you actually retained. And so they'll go through that and ask questions about systems and operations, particular to the airline. Um, and then after that, I do my uh, LOE check ride uh, in the hope to be type rated in the ERJ. So ERJ one seven five. So that's uh, that's how it's going. Um, I will tell you that preparation is everything. I'm learning that you know prior to going to each one of these simulator sessions, I sit down with the iPad that they provided with the syllabus they provided that has everything that's going to be occurring. And I write it all out and I go through it. So then when I get to the sim, I'm fully prepared and can really soak up the information. Um, so preparation is everything. And uh, hopefully the next time I speak to you guys, I will be an ATP type rated airline pilot waiting for my IOE. So um, this is Jan the Man signing off from uh, Denver, Colorado. Hope uh, all of you are well. And please, if you have any comments, just relay them to Liz and she'll, she'll give them to me. So thanks very much for listening. Sorry for the lengthy response. Take care, y'all. Yeah, she'll give it to y'all, right? Trust me. <laughs> I know. Oh, barrel. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jan. And as... Um, uh, let's see, who was it that said uh, it's nice to get these updates here? Uh, John McElry. Uh Great to have updates like this. Thank you, Jan, for uh, letting us know that you're going to be in uh, Ulala Gebari. Very nice. And the other thing that I want to say is, yeah, AeroPress, I use, that's what I have up here. The, and that's what I normally use to make my day-to-day -day morning coffee. AeroPress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S. AeroPress. The it's official a, coffee maker of Airline Pilot Guy. The official coffee maker of the Airline Pilot Guy is AeroPress. And I hope that you have a good grinder to go along with that. You know, whole beans, a good grinder. I have, uh, I brought my manual uh, grinder with me, which is a Commandante, a German-made, um, really, really nice um, manual grinder. And it makes really good coffee. So, uh, really nice to hear about how your training is going. And I think it's very helpful for the community, especially those who are considering doing what you are doing right now and uh, what to expect and that sort of thing. So very informative. Thank you, Jan. <laughs> what? Tim does does AeroPress work on grapes? Well, I guess it could work, but it doesn't have the same effect that a regular wine press has. It kind of, I would say, maybe macerates the uh, grapes, probably. I don't know. I haven't uh, tried it myself. Thank you for the question, though, Tim. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to say? Anything? No? Again, thank no. you, Jan. Good to hear from you. And, oh, while I, I missed, I, I've listened to his, his uh, feedback before, so I didn't really miss it. But while he, uh, Jan was, um, we were doing the play out of his audio, I went to my car and got this, uh, this um, Cutter Backwood. Backwoods Insect Repellent. And uh, I, I was telling Liz, you know, it talks about mosquito repellent and uh, that kind of thing. But then I looked at the fine print. It says repels mosquitoes, ticks, biting flies, gnats, noceums, chiggers, and fleas. So, oh, good. I've been scratching the back of my yeah. head with fleas. Um, anyway, so hopefully that will repel the biting flies. I knew you'd want to know. Yeah. Inquiring minds. One. Yes, inquiring minds. Okay, let's um, 
Let's see what the next piece of feedback. We're at 32% on the battery. We're, we're still good. Um, oh, a little bit of... What's that? Short audio. Okay. Here, let's play the short audio from Ray. Hi, crew. This is Ray from Outdoor, Florida. I wanted your comments on the change in the ruling for 5G towers around airports. Apparently, they're going to be able to turn them on. Have they solved the problem of interference with the radios in airplanes? Thank you. No, it's just that there are so many other news items out there and that we as uh, humans uh, are easily bored and easily distracted. So we won't even think about it anymore until the airplanes start crashing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, they, uh, they have done some, well, he, he sent us a link to um, a clip from USA Today. Dot com. Yeah, I think I just found that. Oh, link. you found that. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, it says the FAA and major wireless companies have identified steps to safely deploy 5G around some airports. The announcement signals a path forward after AT&T and Verizon delayed their rollouts earlier this year amid concerns about interference uh, with uh, devices measuring aircraft altitude. And it's not just regular altimeters, it's radio altimeters, the ones that we use in conjunction with... Um, uh, enhanced ground proximity warning systems and our uh, our low visibility uh, instrument landing system approaches, category two, category three approaches in general use the uh, radio altimeter or radar altimeter is another term for that uh, device. Not as you would uh, have, or the uh, mainstream media would have you believe, all altimeters, <laughs> because they're they're basically using you know air pressure to give you the readings. I know there are some electronics and computers involved with that as well. Ooh, I got all kinds of cutter insect repellent all over my hands now because I've sprayed it all over my legs. Anyway, it has nothing to do with five uh, G. Sorry. Uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, no, I just read that. As part of the phased approach, regional aircraft operators with radio altimeters most vulnerable to interference must retrofit them with radio frequency filters by the end of the year, the agency said in an announcement. Airlines and other aircraft operators with altimeters that are effective must add filters or other upgrades as soon as they can. Uh, we believe we have identified, this is who talking, FAA Administrator Billy Nolan we believe we have Billy. identified, hey, Billy, identified a path that will continue to enable aviation and 5G C-band wireless to safely coexist. Um, we appreciate the willingness of Verizon and AT&T to continue this important and important and productive collaboration with the aviation industry. By the way, this uh, week's episode is brought to you by AT&T, uh, this little hotspot I have going on out here in the middle of the park. Okay, uh, the FAA worked with the companies to determine airports near which they can boost service with the smallest chance of crashes, I mean of disruption to scheduled flights. AT&T and Verizon previously said they would keep mitigations in place until July, but now have offered to continue with some level of voluntary mitigations for another year. Okay. Anyway, yeah, they are doing things. I, I You know, honestly, I haven't heard nor seen anything in recent weeks that address 
the whole 5G thing going on. And um, apparently with my fleet, it's not really uh, a, a deal at all. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's all I can say really about it for now. Anything to add, Liz? Nope. Okay. Well, then that means we can move on to this feedback from future pilot Mike from Philly. It's a second set of questions. Okay. Well, I'm catching up quickly. I'm on episode 440 now, and at this rate, I hope to be all caught up in about two to three months. By the way, you all sound great when played back at 2x speed. Hmm. <laughs> like the chipmunks. So what he's saying is we talk too, we talk too slow. All right. Uh, question one. I believe it was episode 433. You were talking about, oh, yeah, I remember it well. We were uh, talking about the movie 7500 and the accuracy of the pilot's actions by the actors. On a related note, I'm curious, when you watch Airplane, are there any scenes or actions that are inside jokes to pilots or any scenes that are very funny because it mocks existing procedures that only pilots or flight attendants might pick up? I no, I don't really think so. I don't think that's really a, a thing uh, with the movie Airplane. I think the Airplane was more of a, what was it called? Zero Hour, the uh, movie that on which it was originally mocking, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't believe. I could be wrong. Just ask anybody that knows me. <laughs> that uh, you know that it had anything to do with, um, with you know like behind the thing scenes kind of stuff that only pilots and flight attendants know about going on. I, I maybe, maybe that's happening, but I, I don't think so. No. Uh, yeah. Question two, what are the primary differences between a captain and a first officer? Well, captains are smart and good looking. Salary. And salary. That's a big difference. Yeah. And first officer. Okay. It sounds like the roles are fairly defined and yet the captain has discretion on what he can delegate to the FO as well, such as who takes off and lands. Yeah. So basically in history, things were a little bit different, but in, in the modern age, you know, in the last 20, 30 years or so with uh, crew resource management and, um, you know, just our, 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 uh, our job changing and our society changing. Um, the environment at um, most uh, airlines in the world now is one uh, that everybody is fully qualified to, to fly an airplane. I mean, we, we take turns in, in general, uh, you know, flying different flights on, uh, on a trip. Uh, and, uh, the, um, and in fact, you know, there are, there are many times that, you know, the, the first officers might actually be better pilots than the captains. I know that I was when I was a first officer, <laughs> uh, than the captains. well, of course, so I, I thought I was, uh, but, um, so, and when we alternate, uh, different flight segments, uh, the, the roles that we take on in that, um, way of thinking of roles, as far as pilot flying and pilot monitoring are, you know, th those are clearly defined roles. So if it's uh, in general, if I fly a trip, especially if it's with somebody I've not flown with before, or it's been a while, I'll start uh, the first leg. Uh, if it's one of those things, you know, the kind of flying that I do on the uh, Boeing 717 uh, are, are short to medium routes. And a lot of times it has us going in and out of our big hub city, Atlanta. And so, you know, like the first day may be, you know, Atlanta, Little Rock, Atlanta, then to Louisville, Kentucky. What I like to do 
uh, because back in the day, uh, we just alternated every, and so what happened basically at at that point was that if you were the first officer going second, uh, you were pretty much flying from wherever out airport it is to Atlanta, and you didn't get the experience of flying to an airplane uh, airport like Little Rock or uh, maybe a smaller airport where you know you can use different visual procedures and that kind of thing. You were always flying to a very highly controlled, structured, big airport environment, and so. Based on that, what I like to do, and it's just the way I like to do it anyway, um, is to do them in pairs. So if we have three legs, at, uh, Atlanta to Little Rock to Atlanta to Louisville, I'll say, hey, I'm going to take the first pair. I'll be the Little Rock guy, and then you can be the Louisville-Kentucky guy. And then, in general, the kind of flying that we do, the kind of trips that we fly on the Boeing 717 in Atlanta are structured like that. Not always. You know, sometimes... You'll leave Atlanta, and then four days later, you're coming back to Atlanta. So uh, that's a little bit less common, but it, it does happen. So when huh, – where was I going with this? When it's my leg, I'm uh, assuming the pilot flying role, role and the uh, first officer w- would be assuming and, and, and utilizing all the procedures involved with pilot monitoring, which you would think it would be nice and easy, but actually pilot monitoring is almost more difficult than pilot flying, honestly. Um, but, uh, as far as, and that's just pilot monitoring, pilot flying roles. Um, if we're talking dinner roles, I really like those. Um, I can't think of Parker the name. house. Parker right? house. That's the one I was thinking, trying to think of. Um, but, uh, as far as Do roles, it. uh, associated with our job description as a captain or a first officer or co-pilot, whatever you want to call it. Um, basically, as I said before, we're both fully qualified to fly the airplane, to do all the duties associated with pilot monitoring, pilot flying. The difference is, as, as Liz mentioned at the beginning, uh, is that uh, the captains generally get, well, I think always, get paid more than the first officer. Not a huge amount more. I'd say the first officer in general uh, makes about two-thirds of the, of the hourly rate. And that's the way we do it in the uh, U.S. We, do, um, we fly by. The, we're hourly employees. And we make a certain uh, hourly rate, and uh, that's how we're paid. Now, uh, airlines um, in different parts of the world, and maybe even some here in the U.S., uh, but uh, do it differently. They might be a a salary-based kind of thing or have like an offset based on the number of hours you're flying and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so in general, the captain's rate, let's just use a round number, is $200 an hour then the first officer's rate would be about two-thirds of that. I shouldn't have used that example because now I have to do the math. That would be like about 130-ish per hour, you know? So, And again, it depends on how many years of longevity you have with the company. If you're in your first year and you're a first officer on a piece of equipment, you're not going to be making two-thirds of what the captain is making who has been with the company for at least 12 years. That's Anyway, I don't want to go into the weeds on this one. Yeah. Yeah. You, you clarified for me recently, because remember we had that discussion around uh, you were short of a first officer or whatever, and mm-hmm. I asked you, why couldn't a captain just step in? And you clarified for me, even though you're qualified, it's quite a different role. Like, it, you mm-hmm. can't just step into it, right? Like Right. And in, in the case of, now obviously, if there's not enough captains available, you just can't make one of the first officers a captain. Right. I mean, you have to go you through a type rating, and there's a lot more... Uh, regulatory red tape and stuff that you got to go through and training and everything else. But the main reason I think uh, is 
that um, if if let's say there aren't enough first officers and they thought, well, hey, we got all these captains hanging around not doing anything. Let's uh, go ahead and put a captain as first officer on this trip. Well, the problem is that when you're sitting uh, in the airplane in the right seat as a first officer, uh, you are doing a, a lot of di- things that are different. I, I guess, yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that, Liz, because what I didn't mention when I was talking about the po- roles of pilot monitoring and pilot flying is that when you're on the ground, when you're preparing a flight, you're taxiing out, uh, you're running checklists on the ground, uh, radio um, uh, procedures and that kind of thing, transmissions. Um, there are defined, whether it's your leg or not, you, it's, you are going to be uh, doing a certain thing as first officer and as captain. Uh, same thing after you, you know, once you're in the air, pretty much it, you, you can go, you know, do either roll from either seat, pilot monitoring, pilot flying. But on the ground, when you land, at a certain point, I'll take control of the airplane because in the airplane that I fly, the, the only way to steer the airplane is from the, well, not the only way, but the, the way we normally steer the airplane, taxi the airplane on the ground, oops, um, is uh, from the left seat. So, And then there are procedures, flows, that the first officer is going through after we are uh, we have landed and we're pulling off and taxiing uh, into the gate area. So those are clearly defined roles. And um, so I, I can't just go and fly a trip and be a first officer because I'd be sitting over there going, uh, okay, I think I know how to do this. <laughs> I mean, you right. have to have special training to do it. And we have uh, the line check airmen, and I know they call them uh, different things at different airlines around the world, uh, but a, a training captain or a line check airman um is is checked out he's trained and qualified to fly from either seat so when i check out on an airplane and i'm flying with a line check airman on my um initial operating um eval or experience ioe uh the pilot that's sitting in the right seat uh he's he or she is a captain but they are playing the role not playing but they are uh performing the role as first officer because they have been trained to do it uh so it's just uh, the reason why the airlines don't do that. Uh, it would be nice to have all that flexibility to get us all trained like line check airmen. The da- downside is that it's very expensive uh, to maintain that dual qualification, you know, both left seat and right seat. I hope I, Tim has, I, hope yeah. I didn't no, muddy that's the good. waters you got with it. that. Okay. No, no, that's good. Um, uh, Tim has a question. Okay, does a first officer only get two-thirds of the bug spray? Yeah, well, I know. He doesn't get any. <laughs> no. Where is that first He's officer? On his own. Uh, we don't even have. Can't trust those first officers. That's what you need is a first officer helping you camp. I there. do. I need somebody to like manage all this stuff for me. Make the coffee for me in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Uh, we're at twenty-seven. Okay, we're still okay. Um, let's go over That's here. Good. That's a quick one. Uh, did I get? Yeah, uh, that was good. That okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Mike from Philly. Good luck in catching up. Um, oh, this is something where, you know, I really don't need to load this no, video. No, it's, it's just no. B-roll, basically. Yeah. Um, Robert uh, Tucker, uh, formerly of uh, near the uh, big, big Green Chicken in Mayretta, who is now in Tucker, Georgia. I don't recall the crew discussing this event, but was scrolling through channels today and it caught my eye. Any friends that compete in these events by chance? And he's referring to the 
national championship air races at, uh, or most commonly referred to as the Reno air races. And mm -hmm. uh, we do know somebody in the podcasting world. He's one of the co-hosts of, of the uh, Plane Talking UK. By the way, I think I'm going to be one of their hosts tomorrow on their recording oh, wow. for this week. Um, but the uh, Plane Talking UK, PTUK podcast, Armando Carrion, uh, he, I don't think he's, he's not flying as a pilot and competing in the races, but he is very heavily involved uh, during the uh, Reno air races every year. This year, I believe it's like September 14th through 17th, uh, 2022. Um, but I, I, there might be some people that are listening, subscribe to the show, part of our community that race in the Reno air races. I'm just not aware of who they are. Uh, if you are, let us know. That'd be kind of cool. Make yourself known. Make yourself known. Um, Before you move on here, yeah. we've got Mike in the chat room, and he's upgrading from first officer to captain next month. Oh, very good. Mike Salka? Upgrading yeah. next month. Very good, very good. Yeah, it's um, it, it's exciting. It's um, probably a little intimidating at first, Um <laughs> because you you have flown as a first officer. Now, you know, it depends on your particular situation. You might be at an airline where, you know, you're only a first officer for a very short period of time before you're already upgrading to captain. Or you might be at a major legacy carrier, and it might be 10, 12 years. I think it was about 12 years for me uh, when I um, upgraded to captain. Um, but regardless uh, over time you fly with captains and you you know you you kind of start thinking to yourself uh you know if this guy can or gal can be a captain at this company certainly i could because this guy's a an idiot no i'm just kidding um <laughs> but you might be thinking that don't name any names. Uh, not naming names at all. But uh, fortunately, I think the the experience would probably be the same with most people that I know. Uh, that kind of a situation uh, is, is few and far between. Most of the captains that you fly with, especially at uh, ACME, are very sharp and capable people. Uh, but it's a little intimidating because, you know, as a when you're not captain, you're doing your job, you're the best job you can to perform the flight safely, comfortably, you know, good PR with the passengers and that type of thing. But, you know, when it comes down to it, if something goes wrong, and, and this is really not as much the case as it used to be. Back in the old days, if something went wrong, oh, well, you know, it's just the captain that's going to have to answer for it. These days, a little bit different with the, you know, the crew resource management and the fact that everybody is almost like on an uh, equal footing as far as contributions to the operation and safety of the flight. Uh, just because you're the first officer, if something goes wrong, you know, they're not going to let you off the hook. Oh, you're just the first officer. We're not going to, you know, say anything or ask you any questions about anything or potentially punish you. Uh, we, we, you know, you're going to be in there as well. So... It's very important that you, uh, you know, think like you're in the role of the captain, even when you're not a captain. Um, Mike's just offering some insight into the timing at okay. his. Okay, at four years at my Chicago-based legacy carrier. Oh, wow. But we have guys picking it up at a year after probation. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people know the real legacy airline that I fly for. We have, we, I think we made history 
with some guy that bid captain on the Mad Dog in New York City, and he—I think he was not even. No, he hadn't. He had not been with the company for even a year, still on probation, and got a captain slot. And that was something wow. that nobody ever ever envisioned, either at the company uh, or at the uh, at the uh, union. And they uh, quickly kind of made some new procedures and and requirements um, to ensure that this person you know was was going to be up to the task of uh, being a captain for a ma- major legacy airline uh, but uh, honestly you know a lot of the people that fly as first officers for us before they were hired you know it's not like you just get hired by a united or a delta or a american airlines uh, with very little experience no you have to you have to have a few hours under your belt, and most of the time it's either military experience or regional airline experience. And many of the people that uh, ACME hires um, were captains at regional carriers. So it's not like they're their for- first rodeo. They know what it means, uh, what it requires to be a captain. So they're not going into it blindly. So I guess there's that aspect of it as well. But for many of us old dogs, you know, when somebody comes in, are just hired, they're still on probation, and they're they're getting a captain slot. We're just like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. And honestly, I don't think I would do it because you know, when you're on probation, your their your your protections as far as job security are not very uh, not a lot. And so you're robust. Have to, you're kind of hanging. You're hanging the. You're hanging it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, uh, and uh, good luck to you. But uh, at four years, obviously, you're not on probation anymore, Mike, and uh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, good luck. Let us know. Send us some feedback. Let us know how that goes. And I'm sure you'll you'll do. Yeah, you had sunscreen on this afternoon. You're getting a little pink there. Um, am I? A little bit. Uh, I, I didn't think. put any bit. on my face, but uh, just just oh well. wondering. Am I starting to look like a lobster? Just a little pink. That's all. Yeah. Hmm. I should. I should be. Uh, that should be something that I have was part of my routine for for a long time, yeah. and I it hasn't been, and that might end up biting me. And you know what? Anyway, so um, we just uh, passed the hour and a half mark, Jeff. Just so you okay. know. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Good. Um, well, it's definitely going to be a shorter show because we're at twenty four percent now, and uh, and the fact that. Basically, I'm the only host. Um, I mean, I'm, I consider Liz to be a host as well, but uh, she's yeah. m- more acting as the producer director uh, on the show as she normally does. And because of that, there aren't a lot of people that chime in and give their perspectives and opinions about these various things. And so this thing's going pretty darn quickly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's uh, seven. Conti- continue to move on with number seven, Magnus. How do you use the rudder pedals? YouTube video. Okay. So I just watched this. Vi- we've had this uh, feedback for a while. And um, I just watched this YouTube video that um, this uh, gentleman, I forgot what his uh, name is. Um, I think he's a German guy. Sounds like a German mm-hmm. accent to me. Here, let me play a little bit of it then. Just to kind of give you a little, a little taste of the um, of the YouTube video, 
and then you maybe can help me decide. Uh, let's see, rudder pedals open. Here we go. Some pilots keep the feet on the rudder pedals when taking off and landing. Other pilots keep the heels on the floor. So which technique is correct? I don't know. I don't know. Hi, my name is Manga Nordal. I am an air and captain and instructor. In this video, okay. I will explain how the rudder pedals are used to maintain directional control. There you go. There's a little, the little, little taste of the video. And I'm not super 100% accurate uh, when it comes to detecting. It sounded Norwegian or something to oh, me, but I don't know. Could be, could be. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, the video is like a 12-minute video, something like that. It's it's kind of a long video. Um, and um, I watched most of it, not all of it, but uh, it's going to be in the show notes for you all to watch as well. I just didn't think it was something that we could really play for the entire show. Nah. Uh, but, uh, basically he talks about what rudder pedals are, you know, what they're connected to, why we use them, etc. And, uh, they have many different uses, um, and, uh, modern aircraft, the rudder pedal not only moves the rudder, uh, on the tail fin of the airplane, the vertical, uh, piece of, um, control surface back on the tail, but it also, um, when the airplane's on the ground, it's usually connected to the nose wheel steering system. And at the top of the rudder pedals, when you depress the top, um, you are activating the uh, brakes. Uh, we call it toe brakes. And uh, I guess there might be uh, some discussion about you know, the proper use. I mean, do you come in and do you have your heels in the floor and activating the rudder? And then when it's time for you to put the brakes on, you kind of move your feet up so that you can depress the top portion of the rudder pedal to apply braking. Or, you know, and is it different when you're taking off and you're landing? Um, and honestly, when I was watching this video, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly what I, I'm pretty sure on the takeoff, my heels are on the, um, on the floor and I'm pretty sure when I'm coming in as a uh, uh, for landing that my feet are or the heels are on the floor as well but now I'm now that I'm thinking you know you, you do something are you how many when you breathe do you do this and then you know you know you don't think about it you just do it you're breathing you're breathing I don't have to think about taking a breath in and exhaling I just do it naturally without thinking about it and that's the kind of way um, I I think of activating the rudders on the airplane. I guess next time I have a trip, I'm going to have to pay attention to what I'm actually doing. But there are different advantages and disadvantages to um, to the various positions of your feet on the rudder pedals, and it may you know differ based on the kind of airplane that you're flying as well. Um, and of course, rudder is used um, for directional control uh, for uh, if you're in a if, a pilot of a smaller airplane, you're actively using the rudders to get coordinated turns, you know, not slipping or sliding. And, uh, and it has nothing to do with the slip and slide, uh, you know, the water yeah. toy. Uh, but um, on, on modern airliners, uh, the, the input of rudder 
uh, for making coordinated turns is really taken care of for you by the yaw damper system. It just automatically applies rudder appropriate for, you know, you put a, put a bank in with the uh, side stick controller or the uh, control yoke and uh, the yaw damper system automatically applies a little bit of rudder without even you knowing, basically, and it just coordinates the turn for you. Um, there are times, though, like crosswind landings comes, comes to mind, uh, when you are actively uh, using the rudders and, and uh, quite, you know, you're depressing or moving the rudders more aggressively than you normally do, and that's, you know, to uh, align the longitudinal axis, uh, the, the nose-to-tail axis of the, of the jet with the uh, runway, if that's your technique. There, and we could go into all kinds of different techniques, uh, landing and crosswinds and that kind of thing. We've talked about that a few times on the, on the show before. Different techniques, you know, we, uh, some techniques have advocates and that, and then other techniques have other advocates. So, um, what else? Anyway, um, we haven't any, uh, good comments here. Let's see. I no, learned Chuck, to... Mike was just talking about what he had to adapt to when he came from the Navy. Oh, okay. Problem of tapping the brakes at high speed. Yeah, P3. Yeah, airplanes, uh, the type of airplane you're flying, um, the, the brakes behave differently. They're not all the same. Um, and you, that's one of those things you got to get used to. Like, you know, sometimes you rent a car <laughs> and, and you uh, put the brakes on and you're expecting it to respond like the car that you're used to driving and then all of a sudden it's like yeah your neck goes you know you're, you're, you want to break your whiplash. neck going yeah the whiplash kind of thing going on because you weren't expecting that kind of response from the brake pedal uh, or conversely you put the brakes on and go is, wait a minute do we have brakes <laughs> it's not it's not really responding to my brake application um, same kind of thing with airplanes although you know it, it doesn't take long for you to adapt to um, brake pressures and that kind of thing Mike has one more comment here. Uh, I learned to use the bottom of my heels and the bottom of the rudder pedal and my toes toward me to avoid the brakes unless needed. Huh. I guess everybody has their own own techniques. Um, Yeah, you got to be careful with having your feet completely on the rudder pedals and not on the floor, um, especially when you're landing because you might be unknowingly applying uh, brake pressure uh, to the braking system, and you don't want that when you're touching down because, you know, as good as our anti-skid system uh, are, uh, they can't always prevent you from inadvertently, you know, uh, exploding or, you know, busting a tire open. So you definitely don't want to have the brakes on when you touch down. Maybe shortly after touching down, sure, but... Anyway, uh, I wish that I had uh, some of my co-hosts with me. They could uh, kind of uh, expound upon uh, different airplanes and different techniques. I, I would be interested to hear from Nick Camacho and um, Stephanie as far as, you know, the different kind of way brakes work on, on different airplanes. But uh, that's all I can tell you about. And I didn't really tell you much about my experience. But um, it's one of those things where I, ne- I just don't think about it. I'll have to think about it, and then I'll let you. I'll be. I'll get back with you and let you know. All right, let's uh, continue with. Yeah, we've had this one since July first, so we need to get to this. Oh one. my, yes, we've had this for a while. Oh yeah, um, Bruce sent this in. Uh, Bruce Tucky. Um, 
Hello, producer Liz, Captain Jeff, and crew. I thought the attached article would be an interesting news story given this man's career and perhaps even a plain tale. Take care, all. Love the show. Uh, P.S. The Damn Pub, which is re- referenced in this article, is well known in the Georgian Bay area for its amazing selection of whiskeys. Over 1,000 available. Worth a visit if you're ever up here. In there. Well, we're going to have to visit that damn pub sometime. Or Liz already has. Yeah. Worth it? Great. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Good food. Uh, let's see. This is from the Owen Sa- Owen Sound Sun Times. That must be on the Georgian Bay, I'm guessing. Correct. Owen Sound, yep. Okay. Uh, Pilot Gord Price, 80 years old, punches through the clouds in the skies above Mayford? Meaford. Meaford. Okay. Friday afternoon. During his air show as part of the town's Canada Day celebrations. Wow, he's 80 years old and still flying in air shows. That's cool. Uh, It's his last season soaring, somersaulting, and tumbling through the skies in a supercharged Moscow-made 435-horsepower Yak-50. He's 80 years old. It's time to move on, or so he thought, in a promotional video created ahead of his 2020 air show tour. Scrolling words across the screen read, in 2022, Gordon Price attempts the scariest thing he's ever done, retirement. <laughs> mm. Though when reached by phone ahead of his first air show date of that season on Canada Day, he may have pulled the shoot on that idea. It's sort of looking like that, but I'd hate to say never, Price said. Oh, so he's not retiring, huh? He's, he's waffling. Maybe, yeah. He's addicted, as long as he can pass the doctor's stress and heart tests and the annual regulatory assessments, he may keep going. He says, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, but in in a controlled sense, a controlled adrenaline junkie. I have total control over how far I want to push it, he said. After all, the feeling of sending a super-powered flight machine twisting and turning through the air can't be recreated recreated anywhere else. He calls the feeling an unmatched hyperfocus. Flights at competitions are six or seven minutes, and a lot of the time you wouldn't swallow for six or seven minutes. There is that level of concentration. Wait, there is a level of concentration that's different, he said. Okay. Uh, a summary of his life thus far seems like it's ripped from a Hollywood script. He joined the Royal Canadian Air Force in the 60s, where he learned to fly aerobatics before serving for two years as a nuclear strike pilot from the military. Oh, I, I don't think that's a good idea to strike nuclear things. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the military, he joined Air Canada and flew 36 years. Ooh, good career. In the Viscount, Vanguard, DC-9, L-1011, DC-8, A320, 330, 340, and the Boeing 747-400. Wow. <laughs> what a repertoire of experience this man has accomplished. Um, okay. Um, while his career shifted to big birds, he never lost his passion for light aircraft. And in 75, he built a 200 horsepower Steen Skybolt, adding an extra 60 horses in 1977 for good measure. That began a decades long journey of building, designing and modifying aerobatic aircraft to fly at air shows and competitions. He founded ultimate aircraft corporation and built a series of aerobatic aircraft turn, uh, tuning each one to roll faster and move better through the air. He once finished second in a competition where all pilots had to fly identical aircraft and the judges were unaware of who was flying to even the playing field. Very good. Um, 
Let's see, in 1990, he and his family changed their lifestyle and moved all over the world. It was then he took what he calls a 20-year sabbatical from the world of aerobatic flying. All right, well, very good. So um, the, the article continues, and if you want to read the rest of it, it is going to be in the show notes. And um, I, I say, wow, good on you for such a long career of flying airplanes, especially 80 years. I'm not going to be flying aerobatic airplanes at 80. I don't fly them now. (laughs) That was back when I was in my 20s. That's fine. Okay. Robert. Another uh, Robert. Another Robert, Robert, not the one from Tucker. Robert Robert Mick. (laughs) Robert MC. Hi, team. Oh. I'm, uh, yeah, look at that. He's from France. I'm contacting to say thanks for your podcasts. I only discovered you two months ago, and I'm now listening to all of your podcasts. Uh-oh, the uh, syndrome again. I think so. I guess I'm a rare case. I'm an Australian who is permanently living in France and at 47 years of age have decided to ditch my career, which went well in Australia, but not here in France, and pursue professional, oh, he's probably one of those gator wranglers. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess there's just not really much uh, like need. Crocodile Dundee. Yes, yeah, like Crocodile Dundee. But I guess the, yeah, not gators, crocodiles. I guess they just don't have too many of those in France. No. So now he's got he's to change careers. Uh, he's going to pursue professional pilot studies full-time, ATPL theory plus CPL, MEP, IFR, MCC, M-O-U-S-E. Um <laughs> Here in Europe, there are uh, 14 exams for the ATPL, so you give me listening relief from this hard work. Ugh. As I've mentioned many times before, if I was wanted to be an airline pilot in um, Europe, I think that I probably wouldn't be because that's just you know what? sounds like way too much we work. Should, we, should get Ro- we should get Robert and Jan connected because Jan's going over to Paris. Maybe oh. they could get together because oui, they're oui, both oui. changing careers. Good idea. Hey, Robert, call or send us an email and we'll get uh, you and Jan together. That'd be a lot of fun, I bet. Keep up the great episodes. They are informative and entertaining. Uh, Best regards, Robert, in uh, the Australian in France. Thank you for your feedback. And, um, well, it looks like the battery is is below 20% now, uh, Liz. So. I'm thinking uh, maybe we should start thinking about um, yeah, wrapping, it up. wrapping things up and maybe maybe one or two quickly or one more okay. before we... Um, let's do number 15. Okay. And number 20. Okay. Number 15 and number 20. All right. This uh, number 15, Gary uh, sent us a link. Well, the, well his... so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, number 14, 14. because we, it's the uh, Ryanair one. Oh, you're going off your paper. Uh, yeah, copy, sorry. Oh, no problem. My bad. Uh, oh, yes, this is a good one. It, it would have been yeah. fun to do it, uh, uh, do this with the um, other crew members just to kind of see what their experience is with this. But anyway, Michael, artificial turbulence, in quotes, calms Ryanair rowdies. An airplane of the Irish low-cost uh, airline Ryanair. Oh, wait. No, that's a... Uh, that's a caption. Irish low-cost airline Ryanair said it had overtaken Spanish flag carrier Iberia as the largest airline in Spain in terms of the number of passengers carried. 
The and that's still the caption for the photo. Darn it. Ryanair has been hitting more than its share of turbulence recently, but some of it's the artificial kind. The Irish budget carrier does a lot of business delivering countrymen to party islands in Spain and Greece. The party sometimes starts long before the passengers get to the gate, and flight attendants have had a hard time ensuring their charges are safe. That's where, quote, artificial turbulence comes in. Here's another quote from an unnamed pilot. Sometimes if the passengers are being annoying, then the cabin crew ask us to turn the seatbelt signs on as if there's turbulence, just so everyone sits down and the cabin crew can relax. A flight attendant confirmed, the white lie is used from time to time. We refer to it as our artificial turbulence, and yes, it happens. The FAA and the, the flight attendant said, its use depends on the pilot, but it's apparently a common theme. It depends on how, on pilots, how often it's done. Some don't like to do it. Some love to do it. I've had flights where I've stopped service altogether because passengers don't have any manners. Now, what I thought it was going to talk about was the fact that, and I have been asked, um, no, not me personally. There have been people that I've talked to uh, who will remain anonymous uh, who have shared with me that flight attendants have asked them to uh, turn the seatbelt light on because they want to get regain control of the cabin and and just say something about you know expected turbulence and that kind of stuff. I thought the article was going to talk about the fact that there are certain things that you can do by just like bumping the um, and I've heard this. I don't know if this is true uh, by bumping the control yoke or the I don't know if it works with the side stick or not. Um, you know, just to kind of simulate um, some physical turbulence not bad but just something very very light light chop yeah light chop um so apparently you know and maybe this is something they did like years and years ago you know before i was ever hired but uh i i thought that that's what they were going to be talking about here but yeah it's uh from time to time you'll hear from flight attendants asking you to turn the seatbelt line on uh, when you really think that it's not necessary but you make really don't know what's going down. on yeah make them sit down please i one of the things i'll ask uh, the lead flight attendant when i'm doing the uh, captain to lead flight attendant briefing before the flight is and i said this is what i normally do with the seatbelt usage you know i'll wait till we get up to cruise altitude uh is, is that the way you want me to manage that or do you want me to turn the seatbelt light off you know as, as soon as i can above ten thousand feet to or even before that, sometimes, uh, you know, if it, and I'll know whether or not to expect smooth air or not. You know, that's, you know, it depends on whether, you know, you don't want to turn the seatbelt light off if the air is not smooth. But, um, and sometimes uh, flight attendants will ask you or request that you leave it on until you get up to cruise altitude because that gives them a chance to start their service to get some of the uh, job done uh, before people see that the seatbelt lights off and now they and now they just magically have to use the restroom or the lavatory. Mm. So this keeps things a little bit more organized for them. So in this it's same sort of vein as this artificial turbulence, I guess. Not really exactly the same thing. But you know, some will say, yeah, it's a short flight and, you know, we're I'm only going to be walking through first class anyway. So as soon as you think it's smooth enough to turn the seatbelt light off, then go ahead. And so anyway, that's just anecdotal um, information from me. Um, and then what was the other one you said, Liz? Uh, number 19. Okay. Uh, from Singapore Rich? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, we're going to end it with uh, Singapore Rich. Uh, he says, hi, crew. Hope you're all doing well. Enjoying the podcast and all your hard work. I must say, episode 529 was the rudest one so far. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> oh, good. I think. Uh, so many sexual innuendos only saved by Dr. Steph. Captain Nick and his call on the quote captain that got sucked off haha was fantastic i mean not in that way but the whole podcast in general <laughs> yeah that was that was an interesting little thing that nick said last show um he says now i digress today i flew into captain jeff's old stomping ground uh, so I just wanted to share these current pictures of what Diego Garcia looks like on the 17th of July, 2022, middle of the Indian Ocean. He's not kidding. Look it up on the on the map. <laughs> it's right out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I mean, for uh, we used to go from uh, from Singapore, uh, Singapore, rich, um, or sometimes uh, we'd just go straight from um, Clark Air Base in the Philippines through the Malaccan Strait and. Uh, from the point that you hit the Indian Ocean and the Strait of Malacca or whatever, however you say that, it was four hours from there to Diego Garcia, at least in a, in a 141. In a faster airplane, it probably wouldn't take quite that long. Anyway, um, he says, I took these pictures, and this is what it looks like on the 17th. A little creepy, but somehow breathtaking. I think we would all like to hear more about your experiences here, Captain Jeff. It certainly has some amazing history. You know, I didn't spe spend a heck of a lot of time there, honestly. Uh, and my experiences were basically just flying in and uh, maybe if I had time, you know, to get some beach time and uh, swim in the uh, lagoon, the natural lagoon there, maybe uh, uh, rent a paddleboard or something like that uh, from MWR. I think that's what, well, that's what we called it. It is. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And, and then uh, meet the rest of the crew over at the officer's club and have a beer or two and some uh, seafood for dinner. Um, let's see. The most current rumors are MH370 that went missing on the 8th of March 2014 is hidden in a hangar here. My opinion, total rubbish. I've walked and looked around inside these hangars and still here to tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> if they were hiding something, I don't think that he would be sending us in feedback, would he? Security are easily influenced by hamburgers and chocolate milkshakes. Not being disrespectful. Oh, I guess maybe it is easy to get around there. Uh, he said, but MH370 is not here. So I'm thinking, folks, maybe Captain Jeff can give Captain Nick a night off and give us a plain tale himself of his time in Diego Garcia. <laughs> I don't know if there's enough there for a plain tale, but thank you for the uh, suggestion, uh, Singapore Rich. Uh, he says, always nothing but blue skies and some tailwinds, not on short runways. We love you, Captain Jeff. <laughs> always Singapore rich. And I'm sure you showed all these beautiful photos of that. Look at that I water. Love this. And I love this last one, the footprint of freedom. Diego Garcia, yeah. footprint of freedom. Yeah, it is literally out in the middle of nowhere. You know, one of the, mo the, big, one of the biggest impressions that I had immediately when I set foot, literally, on the island, you know, walking off the C-141, was the um, customs uh, immigrations officials, and they were wearing Bermuda shorts, and uh, because this is Love a it. British territory, 
British Overseas Territory or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're the ones they're the government um, in charge of of this place and all of the customs and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, people really do wear these kind of outfits. I mean, they were, that so was their like, uniform. Yeah, sort of like Bermuda and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just like. Oh wait, maybe that's why they call them Bermuda shorts. <laughs> why don't they call them? Diego Garcia shorts. That's what I'd like to know. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I think that uh, with the waning... No, you know what? We probably get... Nah, I don't want to push it. No, no, no. Let's <laughs> wrap it up. It might be one of those things where, you know, you look at the uh, charge and something and you think, oh, I got plenty. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the yeah. last... Well, we made, we made it to two and a half, uh, two Did hours. We? we made it to two, uh, two, hours. two hours. That's good enough. And uh, yeah. just um, as a reminder, um, hopefully this will be published in time for those of you attending. Air Venture will hear uh, the call uh, that uh, we will be trying to do some kind of a live recording, live show next week. I just put that in the chat too. So yeah. Pardon me. I just put it in the chat because okay. James was asking what was going on there, and I said, "Yeah, you're going to do a show sometime." So yeah. So follow us on. Um, on uh, the social media. Oh, why don't you do the social meds this week? Uh, before you do that, uh, you can get queued up. Um, AirlinePilotGuy.com, our website. Head over there. Lots of good stuff. Um, information about the crew and the community, the community calendar. We have uh, amplified information, uh, more detailed information on each of the plane tales that Captain Nick does. And uh, there's merchandise. If you want to get your Osh uh, 2022 APG shirt, it's there. Uh, the stickers are there. All kinds of good stuff. Uh, the APG library. Uh, uh, Liz, uh, not Liz. Um, Tiffany. Tiffany, I'm sorry. Tiffany is our librarian, and she does a ma- um, an amazing job of managing that for those of you who uh, read. And uh, what else? Anything else? Calendar. Calendar, yeah, mentioned that. So, anyway, head over there, check it out. And uh, we're also on social media, what I like to call the social meds. Take it away, Liz. So, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And we're on Twitter. And at Twitter, it's, uh, let me find it, at APG Crew. And all of the individual handles are there at APG Crew. And we put out uh, messages, notifications on both Facebook and Twitter before shows to let you know. So stay tuned to those two channels for next week and we'll let you know as soon as we can. And we're also on Instagram and we're also APG crew on Instagram. And if you're interested in a deep dive into more detailed discussions, you can go to Slack. Where is he? Hello. Hello? He's actually in Kenosha, Jeff. Oh, I know where he's okay. spending in the- <laughs> He's not here. I no. he's not respond no. he's not responding to any of my calls. Well you know what? Fortunately, Liz, we have a recording of him telling us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
to get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel, and I'll see you tomorrow when you fly into Oshkosh. We're supposed to have dinner together tomorrow night. And uh, we'd also like to thank Liz Piper for her amazing job. As so many have said, she does all the heavy lifting here, all the hard work, and uh, just makes all of us look good. And she's good at that. Thank you, Liz. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and talons, Douglas. Bye-bye, everybody. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline